This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. What day do most people say they're going to do that thing? Someday. Well, my guest today is going to tell you why you need to rethink that. Before we get started, head on over to my website, overwhelmsucks.com. Yes, you did hear that right, overwhelmsucks.com, to get my brand new free guide, 10 Quick Ways to Conquer Overwhelm overwhelmsucks.com. Matthew Dix is an elementary school teacher, columnist, and author of several novels, including Memoirs of an Imaginary Friend, as well as the nonfiction titles, Story Worthy, Engage, Teach, Persuade, and Change Your Life Through the Power of Storytelling, and his newest book, Someday is Today. That's a hint to the topic of the show. Matthew is a record 55-time Moth Story Slam and nine-time Grand Slam champion. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. And thank you for being a teacher. I think teachers are unappreciated, or I should say underappreciated in our world today. You guys are teaching and training the future of our world. I don't think people understand that. I have a lot more appreciation for you than I do for the Kardashians. I can say that because <laughs> the Kardashians are never going to listen to this podcast. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's sometimes a thankless profession, but oftentimes if you actually have a child in a teacher's classroom, that's the moment when you appreciate them the most. And then seemingly when those kids are out of school, you sort of forget the value that we offered to you earlier on. So so it is true that oftentimes we are um, an underappreciated profession. Now, I got to ask you this question before we get into the topic of the, 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 the podcast today. When I was in school, the, the threat of a detention <laughs> scared me to death. And I never got a detention ever because just the mention of it. I know some other teachers who actually left the profession because I went to school in the 70s and 80s totally different now now you teach elementary school is it that bad in elementary school or is that more of a high school thing it's more of a high school thing okay. we we can't really have a detention because that would mean we'd have to keep the kids after school and little kids have to go home to their parents and decompress so you know we have the threat of the loss of recess or you know some privileges like that but it's certainly different i think when you get into the upper grades how about the kids attitude are they tend to be respectful in your your grade yeah, I, you know, I think it depends on, you know, it depends on the kid. There are some years that are tougher than others. And some teachers, frankly, have an ability to connect with kids and, you know, command that respect better than others. So, so it really varies based upon class and kid and teacher. Yeah, we all have our favorite teachers and the teachers I remember most from my high school and we call it junior high. They call it junior high in Connecticut. Uh, yeah. Okay, yep. down here in Texas, they call it middle school. We call it junior high up there. And there's a few teachers I remember very succinctly, even today. And I remember in eighth grade, I had this journalism teacher. And whenever he was feeling kind, he would say, the the milk of human kindness is dripping from my veins. And I, I still remember that. I'm 57. That was like back <laughs> in eighth grade. And now I think about it. That's kind of a gross thing to say to an eighth grader. But I digress on that. Well, he, he made nice an guy. impression. It, it did. I still remember that that saying after all these years anyway so you have a brand new book out called someday is today 22 simple actionable i love that word actionable ways to propel your creative life now you are an author you love to be a storyteller everybody likes to have a story told to them i mean we remember it when we were kids and as a speaker like you you go on stage no one just wants the facts 
Okay. They want, they want stories. They want, because stories draw us in to what's going on. So tell us about the power of story. Well, you know, I think the word power is really correct. I think that when we tell stories to other people, a multitude of things happen. I think that inherently we get closer to that person. We open up our hearts and minds, and then we find a way into someone else's heart and mind. So they feel more attached to us. They feel more aligned to us. I think that the best storytellers of the world express vulnerability. We say the things that many people are unwilling to say. And I think that makes the world a better place. I think we tend to walk through our lives feeling like we're the only one, you know, feeling shame and assuming that the problems of our lives are not the problems of everyone else's lives. And I think with things like Instagram today and, you know, the ability to sort of fashionize your life on the internet to make it look ideal, I think that problem is even exacerbated. So, so I think when stories are told, people get closer, people feel better about themselves. And then if you are a storyteller, you understand the therapeutic value of storytelling, that working a story out, finding meaning in a moment that perhaps you haven't examined before, that can be enormously beneficial. You know, and, I, and then there's, there's lots of ways to make money with storytelling too. So it can be a profitable well, exactly. venture as well. Yeah, James Patterson <laughs> has done pretty well. Uh, Stephen King's done pretty well. He's telling yes. stories. But here's the thing. We all have our own stories. I don't think people understand that. They go, well, I'm not a James Patterson. I'm not a Stephen <laughs> King. But you have your own story. And I remember uh, when I tell my story from the stage when I was fired from my job back in 2005. And from 2005 to the end of 2021, I didn't make any money. And the reason why is I was spending money on the three C's, coaches, courses, and conferences. Not that these things were bad, but because I didn't vet them. I was just thinking it was magic, just spending money. But when I tell that story and people go, oh, I thought it was just me. So when I post a story once on LinkedIn saying, you know, I'm struggling making clients a couple of years ago, people resonate with that because people think, oh, I think I'm the only one in the whole world that's not able to get clients. But when you tell a story, now people go, oh, you're just like me and we're in this together. Yeah, it makes the world feel a little smaller, a little less sharp and angry, I think. And, you know, I think it's a really important thing to to put out into the world that we're just more connected than we're willing to admit sometimes that, you know, sort of what's going on behind the doors of your home is often very similar to what's going behind the doors of other people's homes. And yet, we so rarely open those doors to other people. And, and storytellers are the people who are willing to say, I did a stupid thing. I did a ridiculous thing. I did a shameful thing. I did an embarrassing thing. Storytellers love telling those stories. At least I do, because I know those are the stories that really resonate with people and draw them closer to me. And I just encourage people, stop telling other people's stories. Tell your own story. And if you don't know how to do it, you know, maybe, maybe Matthew can help you. We'll tell you at the end of the podcast how to do that. You got a story in you. And when you tell your story, you don't have to remember it because it's your story. If you're trying to tell someone else's story and someone else has already heard it, which is often the case, they're like, yeah, you left this part out. So just tell your own story. Now I want to get to your book because I started reading your book and I'm a productivity nerd. I'm a productivity loom when it comes to this. Some of the things in your book really caught me uh, going, okay, this is uh, this is extreme. For example, like when you take your shower, you take a shower less than 90 seconds and you're flossing and you're practicing your balance. But I, when I read this, I'm like, 
Okay, Matthew, uh, I can't wait to have you on the show because that's my sacred space. Now, I don't have kids at home. It's just my wife and I. When I go in my shower, number one, I shave my head every morning, and I'm not going to rush shaving my, my head. Smart. But I go in there, and I take about eight to nine minutes. I'm not rushing because what I find when I'm in the shower, I get a lot of great ideas come to me. Now, I know you're not saying, thus saith the Lord, that you should take 90-second showers. And I think what we need to do is we need to figure out what works for each one of us. So you take a 90 minute shower. Obviously you don't shave your, you shave your head in the shower so you can take it a little quicker. So why do you do that? I mean, what, I mean, are you trying to save time or are you, you trying to beat the Guinness book of world records? What's the point of that? Well, you know, one of my beliefs, my, I guess my foundational philosophy is that when I'm a hundred and I'm lying on my deathbed and I'm looking back at my life and I'm sort of evaluating my decision-making and the way I chose to spend time, I'm confident that in looking back, I will not be happy with the time I spent in a shower. Every single time I spend, you know, eight minutes rather than two minutes, that six minutes could have been something. I think the tragedy of our lives for so many people is that in the last couple days of your life, minutes really start to matter. You know, when you know you're facing the end, which happened to me once, which is why I sort of have this belief, those minutes become so precious. But the reality of it is every minute is precious, even now when you're further away from the end of your life. And when we can accept the fact that the minutes now are just as precious as the minutes in the final days of our lives, that's when I say to myself, I don't want to spend eight minutes in a shower. I've got a son and a daughter and a wife and a book and a cat. And I'd rather spend time with any one of those things than soap and water and, you know, that shower. That's just sort of my philosophy. Now, I do agree that if the shower is a place that makes you happy, and when you're 100, you're looking back and thinking, the time I spent in the shower was important, and I'm glad I did it, fantastic. For me, it's not the case. And for anyone who's taken a 20-minute shower, I don't buy it. Get the hell out of the shower. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting is I understand how you're saying when you're looking back at age 100. And my goal, by the way, the listener already knows this, that I'm a daily runner and I fully anticipate running a mile on my 100th birthday. That's great. But I think the biggest time suck today is not taking a 10 minute shower. It's spending four hours on TikTok. Now, yeah. to use your analogy, if you look back when you're 100, at all the hours, which are actually days, which are actually weeks, which are actually months of wasting time on your social media of choice, looking at other people's lives, I think that is a bigger issue than spending an extra five minutes in the shower because you know as well as I do, Matthew, because you're in the productivity field as well, that these social media apps are designed to keep you on there forever. That's why TikTok keeps sending you videos. YouTube will keep feeding you videos. They're not your friend. And I keep telling people, I'm on all the social media platforms, by the way. I post my videos and I leave. I don't scroll because they're not your friend. And I think... Yes, taking a shorter shower may save you two or three minutes when you look back on when you're 100. But I think the biggest elephant in the room is social media. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah, I think the problem, uh, the problems are multitudes. But one of the most difficult things for people is that we find ourselves with what my wife now calls black holes in our lives. You know, she says, I fill those black holes so well, which is we end up with 15 minutes here, here 10 minutes there. You know, we have throughout our day, all of these little pockets of time. And 
15 years ago or 20 years ago before social media was a thing, Mm -hmm. we would do things like look for someone to talk to, read a book, you know, look at a tree, you know, go for a walk, you know, eat a sandwich. Those are things that we would have spent that time doing. Now we have this thing in our pocket, this dopamine producing machine that we take out and temporarily makes us feel good, but over the long term actually makes us feel bad. But because it's so easy to fill those little bits of time with that thing in our pocket, that's what we do. You know, one of the strategies I always advise people is make a list of all the things you could possibly do in 10 minutes and have that list, like post it until you memorize it. I can tell you 50 things that I can do in 10 minutes so that like right by my door right now, there's a book. There's a book of Groucho Marx letters that he wrote over the course of his life because I know that later today, when we're ready to go to dinner, my son will have to find his shoes and they will be in two different rooms. <laughs> and course. my daughter will not come out of her bedroom and my wife will be a little slow. And so I'll be standing by the door with six minutes to kill, but I don't believe in killing time. I believe in using time. And so if I don't have something ready to go, if I haven't strategized my life in such a way that I can do something productive, I'm probably reaching for the phone too for those six minutes. But because I've positioned a book by my door that's easy to read in small chunks, letters by Groucho Marx that make me laugh, I'll spend those six minutes in a meaningful way reading a book and laughing and I'll walk out the door happier than I was before. And so we have to do that for ourselves or otherwise we just reach for the phone. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm the same way. So I will put small books on my iPhone. And so if my wife has to run into the store, I open my iPhone, go to the book. So it's doing exactly what you're saying. But it, the temptation to check that just for a minute, let me check TikTok just for a minute. And it's never a minute. And I, I want people to think about what you said. Go forward 100 years and look back on your life. Would your 100 year self go, you know what? On July 12th, 2023, you spent eight hours on TikTok. How are you going to feel? Right. And I don't think people think that. Sometimes I'll be sitting in church and, you know, before church starts, you got like 10 or 15 minutes. I will open up my phone and go, okay, what are some ideas for the podcast? What are some guests I want to come up with? Because what am I going to do? Do that during the day? No, I could do it in these five or 10 minute things. And so I love your challenge. Come up with a list of things that you can do in 10 minutes because, that 10 minutes is going to be like, let's say you're at a, a light and it's a long light because the light's flashing. Well, you can't read a book, but maybe you can recite, speak the text in your voice memo app about some ideas for your podcast because you got the time anyways. You might as well fill it with something productive. So I really like that idea. I used to always bring a book with me wherever I went, but then what happened was I started reading three, four books at a time and I go get the book and I you know, lose my place. So what I do is I try to download smaller books or maybe mini books on my iPhone that I can read as well. So these listener, these are just simple things you can do because like Matthew and I are talking on this podcast, we don't get this hour back. It's gone. And I hope that he's going to say this is a, a good use of his time, but you get 24 hours a day and nobody spends every minute productively. It's not possible, but the successful people spend more as productive time than people who are endlessly scrolling on social media. Yeah, it's very true. You know, the other thing people can do is you can start to think about tasks in parts rather than holes. It's so interesting that someone sort of won't fold half a load of laundry unless they can fold the whole load of laundry, right? Which makes no sense because if I fold half the laundry now, that means I have time later because I only have to fold 
the other half. You know, I'm a novelist, so I write novels. And when I meet potential writers or people who want to start writing, they always say crazy things to me like, oh, I need a, a good two hours to be able to write, you know, and I really need a quiet place. And I always remind them that during World War I, there were men wearing gas masks in trenches while artillery was exploding over their heads. And in small notebooks with pencils, they were scribbling poems and stories that they hoped to show someday if they survived the battle. And that was really happening in the world at one point. And so when you tell me you need two hours at a time and, you know, smooth jazz and Starbucks, I think you don't really want to write <laughs> and you don't understand how writing can be done in five minute increments, 50 minute increments in, you know, in five hour increments. And it truly can be done in that way. We have to think about large tasks as tiny steps, oftentimes a thousand tiny steps to accomplish something, but it's okay to take two of those thousand steps before you go and do something else. I had a person reach out to me several years ago from the other side of the world, literally, and they wanted to be a coder. I'm like, that's great. I'm excited for you. So how often do you code? Oh, I, I don't code at all. I'm like, wait a minute. Do you know all these kids who are you know learning code every spare minute? They're practicing coding with their friends. So if you're not like to your point of writing, if you're not coding and you want to be a coder, you don't want to be a coder. Because you're not doing it. You're not learning. You're not watching YouTube videos. You're not immersed into it. So if you really want to be an author, then you will write a minute here, five minutes here, 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there. You won't say, I'll wait for the two-hour window. Because the odds of you finding a two-hour window with the perfect atmosphere and the perfect music and you feel perfect is so minuscule, you'll probably never even start writing. Yeah. Most people want to have done something. But the actual process of doing that thing, they may genuinely want to do it, but problems like perfectionism and self-doubt and, Mm -hmm. you know, the inability to access the resources that are so abundant today. If it was 1981 and you told me you wanted to code but couldn't figure out how to get started, I'd say, yeah, that makes sense. But in 2022, as my fifth grade students will tell you, every time I say, I wonder how you do that. They always say, just go to YouTube. Everything (laughs) is on YouTube, Mr. Dix. And I swear it's still, sometimes it hits me. I'm like, they're right. Every single thing you want to know is now available to you and it's in your pocket. So Mm -hmm. instead of scrolling through that social media, you know, I'm learning about aviation right now just because I'm interested in it. My my wife actually gave me a flying lesson recently. I flew a plane for the first time ever. Wow. Yeah, it was great. But it started with me wondering how planes work. Truly, I one day I thought, I want to really know how this plane that I am on that supposedly will get me to San Francisco is not going to crash. And that began just a sort of interesting pursuit. And so if I'm on my phone and you ever see me on my phone, I'm either handling email because that's a good use of your phone, you know, during those Mm -hmm. black holes, or I'm probably watching or reading something about aviation because that's my current sort of weird passion. But next month I'll have another weird passion, but it's not going to be scrolling through Facebook scrolling through Twitter, scrolling. I'm the same as you. I post stuff on all of my platforms, but I never look at anything. So my wife will say, oh, did you see your cousin's baby was born? And I'd I say, no, why would I know? She said, well, it was on Facebook. And I always have to remind her, I put something on Facebook and then I walked away. Yes. I did not scroll once. So I do not know what anyone else is doing on Facebook. I just appear as if I exist on that platform. <laughs> it's funny because... 
I, I finally trained my wife. She'll say, she'll, she'll send me TikTok videos or tell me she saw his Instagram. I'm like, stop. How's this going to help me toward my goals? And she'll go, okay. So I finally got to the point because I'm, I'm trying to consume stuff that's going to get me to my goals Yeah. and seeing someone, a Kardashian, uh, you know, is had some controversy that doesn't help me today. And so I encourage people to just distance yourself from negativity. Ask yourself when someone goes, Hey, to hear about, is this going to help me toward my goals? My goal my big hairy audacious goal is to help a hundred million solopreneurs bust through overwhelm by 2032. I can't do that if I'm worried about the Kardashians. Okay. Got overwhelm? Then you need to get my free guide, 10 quick ways to conquer overwhelm. This free guide will help you quickly deal with overwhelm so you can get back to making the impact you've dreamed of. Get your copy for free at overwhelmsucks.com. I, I was going to say what I always teach people is to have strategic in curiosity. Which means curiosity is a wonderful thing, but some of sometimes it's bad. I know that Johnny Depp recently had a problem with his wife. I know everyone was talking about it, or maybe it was his girlfriend. And like everyone in the world for a little bit of time was <laughs> fully focused on whatever was going on in their lives. Not me. <laughs> I ignored it. Now I ignored it because first I always think, why are we involved in these people's personal problems? Right. You know, I don't need that on an ethical <laughs> level. But more importantly, I remember I was at a party and like 10 people were all talking about these two people who they will never meet and will never know in any way. I was on the couch with my son wrestling. And when I look back at that party, I think who made better use of their time? You know, will they even remember what happened to Johnny Depp and his wife or girlfriend? You know, I remember the wrestling match I had with my son on that couch and my son will remember it and it will mean something to us. So there is something to the, to the like ignoring what we don't need to know. If you lined up at a Kardashian in a lineup with other people, my wife will tell you, I could not pick the Kardashian out. I I genuinely don't even know what they look like. (laughs) And unless someone points a reason to me as to why I need to know these people, I'm going to be strategically and curious about them because they're meaningless to me. Hmm. Now, if the Kardashians want to promote the Mark Stachowski podcast, Absolutely. I would take their 10 trillion <laughs> followers. I would take that uh, as feedback. But, you know, something that you mentioned about your weird thing about aviation, I am of the opinion that I am no longer going to get my information from Twitter or Facebook or, you know, an Instagram post. If I want to learn something, I go learn it. So, for example, hot topic today is climate change. Now, lots of different opinions. It's never been this hot as it's been in the entire history of the world. So I, I researched a book and there was a guest on Joe Rogan's podcast about, I don't know, six, nine months ago by the name of Stephen Coonan. He was President Obama's scientific advisor and he wrote a book called Unsettled and he looked at the data. And I read this book and I'm like, wow, I did not know that. So I tell people, before you start shooting your mouth off about certain things, go learn the truth and then you become educated and you're a better conversationalist because now you're not just talking out of a certain part of your anatomy. You're actually talking about truth. And so I do what you do. I, okay, now I understand about climate change. And I, someone gave me a book who's a, a former guest of my show about how we should relook at how we treat drug addicts because some people say just throw them all in jail, but it's not their fault necessarily that they're addicted to drugs. So I read this book and I'm like, wow, my, my, the way I look at it changes. But my point is I didn't waste my time looking at a tweet 
endlessly scrolling through Twitter and form my opinion, I went to a source, learned, I'm like, wow, I have an open mind. I, I have a feeling you have an open mind. I think people who have open minds and like, well, let me try this because if I don't, I will never know. Well, I, I agree. Open-mindedness came right to right to my mind when you were talking about this. The other thing I thought was what you're proposing is doing some work. And <laughs> frankly, if you're spending your life scrolling on social media and binge watching Netflix, oh, you don't no, have yeah. time to read a book. And that is really a problem. Now, I'm not a television snob in any way. I love television. And I think the TV being made today is extraordinary. But you will never see me watching television by myself. You will always see me watching television in in small amounts, admittedly, because I can't get to it because I have better things to be doing with my time. But I'm always watching with my wife and we're having a conversation about it. Or my family right now is watching Stranger Things. The four of us gather. We watch an episode. We have conversations about it. It's genuinely family time. You know, I don't think of it as I'm watching Stranger Things. I think of it as we are watching Stranger Things and we'll always remember this. The same way when the pandemic hit, I had never seen a Marvel movie. And so in that time of the pandemic, when we were locked in our houses, we decided we're going to watch every Marvel movie in order. That's how we're going to spend oh, this wow. And I'll never forget <laughs> it. Like it was wonderful. Every night we sat down, watched another movie for like a month. We were in the Marvel universe and wow. it's a beautiful memory from a terrible time for us. So that's like, purposeful and that's good and that also affords us the time to do things like read a book like you've proposed but most people just don't have the time because they're just dithering their minutes away like they don't matter and so mm. i think that's the hard thing i think it's easy for people to look at facebook grab someone else's opinion that seems interesting or controversial or full of you know captivating lies and then, you know, spinning that out for themselves rather than really formulating opinions based upon facts and hard work, which is what you described. One of the things I love about TV this day and age is it's all on demand. So you can watch <laughs> whatever you want. Who watches live TV anymore? So I've been I, I've become a English football wrong English and English. I said a English. This is a teacher. I got to correct my English An English football league, a football fan. Okay. I, I just fallen in love with the sport. I finally understand it. And the really cool thing is Amazon prime videos got this thing called all or nothing. And it goes through the seasons of different football. So I watch that, but it's, it's on my time and I can watch and I do, I watch like 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, I'm done. Pause it. There's this thing on TV called pause. You can pause a TV a program and then watch 15 more minutes later or watch 30 minutes later. I don't think people understand the magic of the pause button. There's no law that I'm aware of that says you got to watch the entire episode. My wife and I would do it all the time. We'll be watching the TV show and like, well, are you feeling it? No, we'll pause it. We'll come back to it later. You can do that. But so many people feel, well, I got to watch the episode. I'm like, why? If you're not feeling it, or if you'd like, Hey, it's nice day. Let's go take a walk. Pause the show. And go out and take your walk. It, it, this is not live. What you're watching on TV, even a sporting event, even in what sporting events, I will watch them. Well, I watch soccer slash football live because there's no commercials and it's 45 minute halves. But like American football, I will watch it like 90 minutes after it starts so I can zip through the commercials and the boring parts when they're doing the timeouts because to me, that's wasted time whenever they do a timeout. So there's different ways to watch TV and not eat up all your time. Absolutely. My wife and I are 
very, very commonly, we'll put our kids to bed, we'll do some work, and then she'll say, do you want to watch something? And lately, we've been watching a lot of comedy specials. But what we do is we watch about 15 to 20 minutes of a comedy special, and then she'll say, I'm getting a little tired. And I'll say, no problem. We wait till the end of sort of a joke when I feel the comic's about to pivot to a new topic. And that's when we pause it. And we might not get back to it for three weeks. You know, (laughs) it doesn't mean we'll watch Stranger Things with our kids. We might watch a show. But eventually, there'll be another moment where I'll say, do you want to watch something? And she'll say, I have like 15 minutes in me. And I'll say, all right, why don't we go back to Bill Burr? Remember, we paused him. We'll go back to him and we'll listen to a little bit more of him. It is, it's that idea of completionism again. It's the idea of like, you can fold half a load of laundry and that's still very useful. You can watch 15 or 30 minutes of a television show and pause it and come back to it later. You know, you create the breaks in the episodes rather than allowing those episode breaks to control your life. It is crazy though, how people will allow a program on a television that can be paused to control the time that they go to bed. Why did you, why are you so sleepy this morning? Well, I had to stay up late because we were in the middle of a, no, you weren't. (laughs) You were not in the middle of anything. You could have paused it. Like, but that's how people treat things. We have to control our time because it is the most precious thing we have. Yeah. I, I, about eight thirty at my at bedtime. About eight thirty, I like turn off all electronics and I go read a print book. I try to get to bed between nine and nine fifteen, and I get up between five thirty and six every morning. Now, unfortunately, that means I can't watch a lot of late sports. I can't right. watch. I can watch maybe the first quarter of Monday night football or Sunday night football. I, I love the um, Golden State Warriors. Well, their games in my time, they're at 930 when they start. I, I'm sorry. I'm I'm song Z's at that point. And you know what? They don't care. Steph Curry doesn't care if I watch his games or not. I'll watch the highlights the next day because whether I watch that game or not, is not going to help me achieve my goal. I'm not trying to buy an NBA team. Even if I was, it's not important to watch the game. But people, they'll say, oh, my favorite team was on last night and I stayed up till midnight. I'm like, you know, you could have taped it and watched the next day. What if someone would have told me to score? Okay, so then you just saved yourself three hours and watch the game. I mean, people make all these excuses. And I think that's one of the things I like about watching the Premier League because I'm six hours behind them. So I watched the game on Monday. It was eight o'clock in England. It was two o'clock in the afternoon here in Houston. So what I did, I scheduled my day where I worked up until two. I watched the football match and I went back to work, but I didn't have to worry about missing it because I was going to bed. So there's all these different hacks you can do. You can actually watch the replay the next day. I mean, no one in my life is going to tell me who won the premier game, premier league game. So there's different hacks you can do, but what we talked about a couple of times in the show is, does it really matter? If we remember what Matthew said in the beginning, if you go back, uh, go forward to the hundred year self and go, Hey, you know what? I wish you didn't miss that Monday night football game. You're not going to say that to yourself. So put everything in the context. Yeah. It's, it's hard for people. You know, when I was 21, I, I was, you know, faced with an armed robbery and a gun to my head, as you know, and you know, a man. Well, counting I know that because I read your book. Tell us the story. So the listener knows. Oh, sure. So I was managing a McDonald's restaurant, you know, when I was 21 years old and, um, I was in the office counting money after the store had closed and I heard the crash of glass and I knew I was going to be in trouble. The police had come a week before and warned me that there was this team of three men robbing restaurants and they had actually already killed people. There was a person in the Taco Bell that I could see through my drive through window who had died a week before in one of these robberies. Wow. So when I heard the crash of the glass, I knew I was in trouble. And 
eventually they got into the office and uh, they began emptying the safe. And there was a box at the bottom of the safe, a compartment that could only be opened by the owner. And there was a placard that said manager does not have key. And that's where the bulk of the money was. And they figured out very quickly that this safe does not have enough money. They figured it out that it was in that box and they assumed I had the key and they did not believe me when I told them I couldn't open it. And so, you know, they put me to the floor, they put a gun to my head and they told me they would shoot on the count of three if I didn't open up that box. And then they began counting down. And truthfully, it was, I was absolutely certain that I was going to die at that moment. You know, I was really certain I was at the end of my life. And the astounding thing about that moment for me was that I wasn't afraid and I wasn't angry and I wasn't even sad. The only feeling I felt was regret. I I was 21 years old. I had done nothing to chase my dreams yet. And I was going to die on this greasy tile floor. And, you know, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I ended up with, you know, 15 years of untreated PTSD before my wife finally, you know, dragged me into a therapist's office. So it wasn't, it wasn't a good thing that happened to me, but it was a pivot point in my life. It's how I started thinking about there will be a day when I am actually at the end. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to ever feel the way I felt on that floor when I felt that regret. And so that's how I sort of developed this philosophy of how would the hundred year old version of me, the one on his deathbed, presumably, how would he want me to spend this hour? Does he want me scrolling through social media? Does he want me binge watching a television show that I will forget two months from now? You know, (laughs) when my son says, dad, do you want to play outside? And it's 113 degrees and I want nothing to do with the outside, but my son wants to go outside and he's 10. The hundred year old version of me says, you'd better go outside because he's going to stop asking soon. He's going to be a teenager and he's not going to be the same anymore. You'd better grab it now. And I've been doing that ever since that day on that floor. And that is truthfully why I have managed to pick myself up and get through some honest to goodness struggles in my life to the point where I am today. And my hope is just that no one ever experiences that, but they hear the story and they believe me because I think it just happens all the time. If you talk to hospice workers, Mm -hmm. they'll tell you in the last days of people's lives, they talk about regret all the time. I just learned that David Cassidy, the musician, he died in 2019 and his last four words spoken to his daughter before he died were so much wasted time. And that's David Cassidy who became a world-renowned musician and television star who did wonderful things. And in his final moments, the thing he was thinking about was the time on this planet that he wasted. I don't want anyone to feel that way. And so that's why I say, just ask that future version of yourself what you should be doing today, because that person will tell you, put down the electronics, stop watching the television, stop ignoring your kids, you know, stop dithering away the 15 minutes here and the 10 minutes here, because those minutes are precious all the time. Recognize it now. Yeah. And and here's the thing. If you haven't been doing what Matthew suggested, don't beat yourself up. Start today and realize, and I'm sure Matthew realizes too, he doesn't get get it always right. It's okay yes. that every day is a new opportunity to get better. And when you're talking about TV shows, you know, and most TV shows, they say previously on that's for me because I don't remember what happened last episode. (laughs) So I need them to say, Oh, Mark, 
this is what you forgot last time because I'm not, that's not important. I don't need to remember that stuff. So I just thought I'd put that in there. So <laughs> as we come close to the end of our time together, someday is today. Like I said, at the beginning of the episode, everyone's saying someday I'm going to start a podcast. Someday I'm going to start a YouTube channel. Someday I'm going to write a book. Someday I'm going to learn how to fly. Someday, 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 someday. Well, you know what? Someday you're going to die. And when you're on your last, when you're on your deathbed and your last few words, are you going to say so much wasted time? So talk to us about why someday is really today. I think that probably the most important part of that is just the bizarre assumption that people have that there is a tomorrow for them. (laughs) You don't have to spend much time to figure out that buses hit people and you know, tragically, people dropped out of heart attacks they never saw coming. And I mean, especially in the age of a pandemic, we, yep. we are keenly aware of how quickly someone's life can be snuffed out. Mm-hmm. And so I think people just assume that there's this enormously r- long runway of their life. And they also assume that they're always going to be sort of physically and mentally capable of doing the things that they dream, you know, so that's not true. Eventually you will break down. You will break, your body will break down and you won't be able to do the same things that you could do today. And your mind will start to just not be as efficient and effective. And suddenly, you know, time is going to pass and you are going to find yourself in a position where you'll look back and think, my goodness, I, I had five years there where I could have made a difference. And I mm-hmm. kept thinking I'd get to it eventually. And I'm not, you know, it's so funny how when I talk to people about dreams, they always think I'm talking about sort of books and art and business. You know, I'm working with a client now and she told me, I've always wanted to have a vegetable garden in my backyard. She said, I read your book and I realized I've been thinking about having a vegetable garden in my backyard for eight years. It's not actually that hard to do. And I've been staring at my backyard and like making plans in my head. And I always tell people plans in your head are meaningless. Yeah, You never get to the end of your life and you think, thank goodness I made a lot of plans in my head, you know? And so she said, I'm going to start today. So someday is today is the idea that you're not going to plant the vegetable garden today. But what you can do is you can order some seeds today. Mm -hmm. You can make that first step. You can buy a shovel. You can go outside and stake out where the garden's going to be. You can go onto YouTube and start learning, how do I turn lawn into soil that I can grow plants into? Every success story is essentially a thousand steps, a thousand tiny steps. Some days today is the idea of take one of those tiny steps, regardless of what your dream is, you know, how enormous your dream might be. There's always small steps involved. So don't see it as I need to take a big gulp or I need to find the magic pill. Instead, it is buy some seeds. You don't even have to plant them today. Just get them into your house. You know, do the little things that are required to create that momentum so you get closer to that horizon that I always want people aiming at. In spring of 2017, I heard super entrepreneur Gary Vaynerchuk say the future is voice and audio and everyone should start a podcast. That day, I went to Google and typed in, how do I start a podcast? And now, over five years later, the podcast is growing strong. I took action. I didn't go, oh, yeah, I should start a podcast. I did. And that's what Matthew's saying. So, Matthew, before we, you tell us where we can find out more about you and how to get your book and all that good stuff, anything that you want to share with us that we didn't get to on the show? We talked about a lot. Feel free to say, no, I think we covered it. Or if there's something else on your heart you want to share, this is your opportunity to do that. I guess the one thing we didn't talk about that I think is so important is the idea of in a world where 
I think people are always being told to sort of say no and, you know, confine your resources and reserve your strength. I'm a person who argues, as you know, in my book, to say yes to everything. I think that there's enormous hubris in people that they believe that when an opportunity is presented to it to them or they see someone doing something, they assume I wouldn't like doing that. They assume that will not be helpful to me. They assume that this opportunity that's presented to me will not pan out well for me. I'm a big fan of say yes to every single opportunity that is put before you. A yes can always become a no. Mm -hmm. I say, push the door open, walk through and get a sense of what this opportunity is and then decide, you know what? No, this is not for me. Close the door and walk away. But I think what happens is people just walk by doors of opportunity without ever pushing any open. And when I examine my life and I examine the life of really successful people, it's always the odd door they have opened. It's Someone says, hey, do you want to do this? And in my mind, I think, no, I don't. It sounds terrible. I've never been interested in it in my life. I don't think it's going to be very successful. But yes, I'll at least take a couple steps forward with you to see what that is like. Don't limit yourself. I think that our goal in life should be to expand our lives, looking to increase as much you know, possibility in our lives as possible. So, so say yes. Today, say yes to every opportunity. And that's an opportunity whether someone offers you something or you're looking across the lawn at your neighbor and you see, hey, he started to paddleboard. That's always looked really stupid to me. And I still think it looks stupid and I have no interest in it at all, but he owns a paddleboard now. So maybe I could go paddleboarding with him sometime to see if that's something that might actually be okay. Right. I think so often we look and go, no, that's not for me. Instead say, maybe it is for me and say yes to those opportunities. And as we've mentioned a couple of times in the show already, you're going to get to a point in your life, like on your deathbed, where you're not going to be able to say yes. So say yes when you can, because people who are on their deathbed, believe me, they probably wish they'd say yes a lot more than they did. So yeah. Matthew, where can we go to find out more about you and your books and your courses and all that good stuff? Well, if you go to MatthewDix.com, you'll basically find everything there, but you can find my books wherever you get books. And uh, my wife and I have a podcast on storytelling. We break down stories every week and talk and chat and that's speak up storytelling. So you can get that wherever you get podcasts. But if you just go to MatthewDix.com, you'll eventually poke through and find everything there as well. Excellent. Well, I'm thankful that you came on the show. A very engaging conversation. I think the message is really crystal clear. I say this to every guest who's on my show. Uh, folks, you need to listen to this episode again because I guarantee you missed a lot. So you can, there's no podcast, please. You can listen to us again. <laughs> I would encourage you to do so. Take notes. Matthew gave you a ton of information. I probably sprinkled some wisdom in there as well. So re-listen the episode, tons of information. Really appreciate you being here, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Mark Struchowski podcast. Before you go, it would mean the world to me, and I mean the world, if you would do me a quick favor. Share this episode with one person you know that needs to hear it. Because life tends to get in the way, do it right now. I'm on a mission to help as many people as I can, and you sharing this episode with someone would help me on that mission. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you again real soon.